Welcome to Views from the Porch, a podcast where we explore what it looks like to survive and thrive in your young adult years. Each week, we talk about the biggest challenges facing young adults today and how to overcome them from God's Word based on our weekly experience in leading thousands of young adults at the porch. For more info on the porch, visit theporch.live. Thank you for joining. What's up, guys? This is David. We are back with another episode of Views from the Porch. I'm joined with Josh Timms. What's up, team? And of course, Miss Elena Haas. Hey, guys. And today we are talking about not a Christian cliche, but a cliche that Christians often say. Yes, this is a phrase we hear a lot, and it is this. I love Jesus, but not the church. I love Jesus, but not the church. What's wrong with that? Yeah, I think what people are saying inside of that is is they're actually saying that I've had a bad experience, or at least when I've had people say that to me, it's because they've had a bad experience with church or at a church, whatever that's looked like. And they, they, I think there's a couple of things that are happening. Like either church was like not helpful to me and, or Jesus just like, Hey, he's a cool guy. Like kind of like everybody's a cool guy. So yeah, I love Jesus, but I don't really love the church. Yeah. I think there's some dangers in there. Don't you think? Totally. I mean, it's either that or, or it's a smoke screen. And they just don't want to actually get plugged in anywhere. Mm-hmm. And they kind of have just been operating. Like, I, I think you're right. I think a lot of people have had bad experiences in church and that, that molded them. Or they know someone who did or they hurt and like their parents did or something. Or they just, it's just a smoke screen and they really are like, I'm cool with Jesus. It's just not really a priority to get involved in yeah. a church. And I, it doesn't really matter that much is kind of what I hear when I yeah, hear Yeah, and that. they like their life the way it is. They don't think they need to add anything to it. They're good with where they're at. Totally. And it just seems like another thing to do is like go to church or go to community group and they're having fun doing their own thing. I hear it all the time where it's like, look, I, I, you can love God outside of the church. You don't have to be there every week. Yeah. And which is true. You have to love God outside (laughs) of the church. If you only love (laughs) him one hour a week, we have a problem. Something is wrong. Mm -hmm. But to your point, Josh, I do think there are some clear danger. Let me start with this. Do you so what does the Bible call the church? His bride. The bride. The bride of Christ. So when someone says, hey, I love Christ, I just don't love his bride, think about how offensive that statement is. Yeah, that is offensive. It's like if you said that, that'd be like someone saying to me, hey, look, David, I like you. It's your (laughs) wife that drives me a little nuts. I'm just not a big fan of her. I would say, one, you're crazy. and um, I feel like I have the opposite problem. Yeah, I know. That that would be generally what people would say. (laughs) But- I would say that that's so offensive. It is impossible to try to compliment me or even be okay with me if you're not okay with my wife, who is the same, you know, one flesh, all that stuff. But point being, to say, think how offensive that is to look at God and say, hey, I love you. I just don't love what you love, which is your church, who you gave your own life for. Ephesians chapter five says that, that Christ loved the church so much that he said, I'll die for the church. That's how much he loves his bride. So it's it's offensive and it is candidly even more um, dangerous is that it has severe consequences whenever we choose to live life disconnected from the church. Yeah. So I think there's two things that I want to, that we want to speak into on this is one, the question coming out of this, that I think is underneath underline of this phrase is, should I be a part of a church? Like, is there a reason why I should be a member and actively a part of a church? Only if you are a Christian. So why do you have to do that if you're a Christian? Why do you have to go to church? Because a Christian is someone who says, I want to submit my life to Christ and to follow him. I've trusted in what he did on the cross, his death and resurrection, payment for my sin, and I have new life in him. And so someone, a Christian is basically like, hey, God, you're the Lord and the Savior of my life. 
And in scripture, we're told there are commands that are given that you are to be a part of a local church, be underneath the authority of elders. And so if you're thinking, well, hey, you know, what is even in the church where two or three are gathered there? I'm with them. Like, doesn't that really count? I'm in a Bible study. Um, The Bible commands that you and I are to be underneath the authority of a local group of elders or leaders. The word elder is um, essentially just a term for the leadership in these early churches, leadership today of a church, that you are to be underneath the authority of elders, not attend somewhere. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, it says, submit, a word nobody likes today, but submit to your leaders or your elders. And um, to do so in a way that doesn't, that um, that brings benefit to your life and is not quarrelsome to your leaders, and so it's it's you could honestly stop there. First yeah. Peter chapter five says, "Submit to your elders." Um, Hebrews chapter thirteen, Hebrews chapter thirteen, verse seven and verse seventeen both say, "Hey, you are to submit to your leaders and to obey the word of God that they teach, and um, to submit your life underneath their care because they will give account for your souls." It says. So at the end of the day. Um, they're to be a source of protection for you and provision for God that, hey, they're to protect and care for your souls. Like a shepherd cares for sheep is the analogy the Bible uses, but they're God's gift to really protect and for you to be underneath their leadership. And whenever you say, no, I'm not doing that, you forfeit one of the protections of God on your life, on your future marriage, and on just the future you're going to have in general. Yeah, that's good. And, and earlier on in Hebrews, it speaks to that. It just says this, do not neglect to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging each other all the more as you see the day drawing near. So it's it's uh, also for you legitimately not to be isolated in and of yourself, but to be around other people that are encouraging you towards the day that, that we are all looking forward to. If either Jesus coming back or you going to meet him and uh, it says, man, don't don't neglect to do that. Don't don't say, man, I just love Jesus, but not really his people, not, not to be a part of his bride, which is incredibly offensive. But then also when you gather together there's something that happens with the encouragement of everyone being together yeah. i think is unbelievably valuable totally it also makes me think of john fourteen fifteen that says if you love me you'll keep my commandments and if you're saying i love jesus i don't love his church and he's telling us to meet together to spur one another on and to be submissive to the elders like that's what he's commanding us to do and so God's Jesus specifically says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments and you're not doing that. So that's confusing because you're saying you love Jesus, but you're not doing what he's asking you to do. Yeah. yeah. Now, I think for some of our friends listening, David, there's potential that there's been some hurt that they've experienced inside of uh, what the church, uh, even even if we're saying this is what it's supposed to be, that it does hasn't looked that way. Speak a little bit into uh, the fact that people could have legitimate hurts that have come from churches not actually being the church that God would call them to be. Yeah, I think the challenge is no matter what church you're part of, you're going to have hurts. Every church that you go to is is filled with imperfect, broken people. And if you did ever, there's the old saying of like, hey, if you ever found a perfect church, don't go there. Because the moment that you walk in the door, it will no longer be a perfect church because you're not perfect. And the idea of uh, being hurt, I think is really understandable. It um, is not what God intends or desires, but is a reality of broken world. And um, at the same time, I think I would say, man, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Like, here's something interesting that we do. Tell me if this has been y'all's experience. 
I my tendency is whenever I have an individual experience, I begin to like rope and group that in with the the whole. And whatever happens at the part, I make to the whole. Let me explain. When I go to Chick Fil A and I have a really rude person that like takes my order and they won't give me the extra Chick Fil A sauce, which is amazing, <laughs> or they won't you know um, refill my drink, or they're just rude, or maybe they ignore or something. I have a bad experience. I all of a sudden go Chick Fil A, man, they're terrible. I don't go. Betty here yeah. has got some clear social issues. I just I begin to go. This is what Chick Fil A is like. When I go to uh, like I rope in with the individual, all of a sudden I throw shade on the entire chain. Does that make sense? Yeah. So the same thing happens with church. Is like someone has a bad experience, and they're like every church everywhere at all times is always messed up. Yeah. And at some level, that's true because we're all sinners, and everything everywhere always is messed up except Jesus. But it is. Um, it's not true that every church everywhere is is, is equally dysfunctional. And I think uh, tragically, there's a lot of places where uh, they're not churches I would encourage someone to attend and to be a part of, which leads to a lot of, uh, you know, things that we can flesh out here. But where people are, they're not full of grace and truth. They're not places, they're places where like, hey, you get a divorce and you disappear. You're not welcome here anymore. And that's messed up. And that's not the church. Um, or you do some secret, or you, you know, you... I have some part of your past and you're not welcome here. They're judgmental, all the different things that, that mark religious people and mark religion, but they don't mark Jesus and they don't mark what Jesus's body, which is the church. The closest thing on the planet earth, if anyone likes Jesus, they should be like, I like the church because that's the closest anyone's going to get to Jesus is the body of Christ. So. Yeah, I think you're right. And, and when we would, we would encourage you that if you're saying, I love Jesus, if truly you love Jesus and you've been hurt by the church, instead of just saying, I can't throw, like that, David, your Chick-fil-A example, and just saying, oh, that all churches everywhere are bad. We would say, man, go model what Jesus would have you do and be the change in that church. If there's a dysfunction there, if there's some unhealth there, if you have conflict there, go do what Jesus did and model the way that you lean in and love one another. Yeah. I think another thing people can mean when they're saying, I love Jesus, I don't love the church, is that they've maybe experienced part of bad church experience, but specifically like, oh, those people are hypocrites. You know, they say one thing, they do another. I don't want to associate with those type of people. And like, what would you say to to something like that, David? I think I'd say, what do you mean by hypocrites? And then I probably would say at some level, yes, everyone's a hypocrite. Right. But again, it depends on what you mean by hypocrite. Because if, if someone is saying... um uh, here's an example. I would say, hey, men, your standard of beauty should be your wife. So if you're married, she is your one. She is your standard of beauty. You should only have lustful thoughts after her, which, hey, it's a great reason to get married is both you can uh, love and longingly look at your wife and have guilt-free sex, just p- free public service announcement. But point being, I would say <laughs> that's a good thing for people to do. Hey, you, your spouse, that should that should take place. While at the same time, my heart is constantly tempted to lust and every single week and every um, day, it's a battle where I have to, through my community of guys say, hey man, will you pray for me? Here's the thoughts that I feel like are running through my head or here's the thought that I had today that I dwelled on longer than I should have. Will you pray for me? I want to confess that and get that out. Mm-hmm. So both of those things are true. Mm-hmm. And if someone says, hey, well, that makes you a hypocrite, I would say, okay, that makes me a hypocrite. I guess I am. I think what I think of when I think of hypocrite generally is someone who says, hey, you shouldn't, um, lust after your after other women other than your wife, or that should be the standard of beauty. But it's okay for me too. That's what I think of when I think of hypocrite. Yeah. Or someone who says, "Hey, you should only have sex with your wife." Um, these are weird examples, but they feel like 
they're, we're already here. We're pot committed. <laughs> it's already happening. Um, is that you should only have sex with your wife. And I'm like, that's what everyone should do except me. I'm not going to do that. That I think that's very hypocritical. And that's a hypocrisy that I don't see a lot of in the church that we're a part of. Yeah. And any time it takes place, it should be called out and condemned. I mean, that's what Jesus did. He said, you hypocrites, you wash the outside of the, the cup, but the inside is rotted and disgusting. And you should call it out. And we should call it out in one another's life. And that is a loving thing, speaking the truth in love. So does that... What? Yeah. I'm just thinking like... Sometimes people think, oh, I'm a, if someone's a Christian, that they should just never mess up ever again. And to that, I just think it's more like, hey, we, if the standard all of a sudden is I'm a Christian, so I can never mess up, I have to be perfect, then we're all hypocrites because we're all going to mess up. None of us are ever going to be perfect. Yeah. So calling them a hypocrite is just kind of confusing because there's no way we can be perfect. So yes, we're going to all be hypocrites. Yeah, there's there's something too. If if the understanding of being a Christian means suddenly you don't, you, you've never messed up or you won't sin again, you won't hurt anybody again, then I think we've misunderstood that what mean, being a Christian means. I mean, th- thankfully, we are now made right in a relationship with God in that Jesus has taken the punishment, the eternal punishment for our sin, uh, but there, there's, we still live in a broken world and we are still broken. We are not yet perfected. And uh, it, it, it would be easy. And I think I've had that experience of some of my friends as I... Uh, trusted Christ. And they were like, man, uh, why, why sometimes do you still do this? And I remember having to tell them, man, grace in my life tells me that even though I may do these things, there's still ways I'm not identified by that. And I no longer am going to have to take the punishment because Jesus did. Yeah. I think the hypocrite there would be like, you call them out for, Hey, you, you, you claim to be a Christian, but you were wasted last night. And you always tell us how it's not okay to be wasted. Mm -hmm. And they responded with, well, it isn't okay for you to be wasted. It's okay for me to be wasted because, you know, I'm I'm better and I've been going to church a lot lately. Yeah. That would be hypocritical. Right. But to say like, hey, once you become a Christian, you're never going to stumble um, is it's just not true. And again, it kind of goes back to the definition of hypocrisy. I think most people are hiding behind smoke screens even when they say hypocrisy. Mm-hmm. They've either been hurt or they just don't want to change. Right. And they kind of are using, hey, I'll blame whatever I have to to not be able to. They're not introspective enough to know that. Like they've never ha- formed those thoughts. Yeah. But if you really leaned in and you were like, wait a second. So the reason you're not going is the hypocrisy. And what does that mean? They would probably jump to the to judgmental. Mm-hmm. Just feel like they're really judgmental over there. Is it hypocrisy or they're judgmental? Which one is it? Yeah. And and then you just would lean in more and... um and there's something, and and that's probably. I feel like judgmentalism maybe keeps more people out of church than than hypocrisy, which is still tragic. Yeah, to your point, David, when you were saying, I don't think we experience a lot of hypocrisy here at our church. I think what's awesome about that is our leadership and the pastors here, and even from the stage, will share out of their vulnerability and always say, "Hey, like I've heard so many times the pastors from stage say that." you know, hey, I'm also tempted to look at other women besides my wife. And without Jesus, these are the things I would be doing. And here's how I messed up. And they're very quick to confess things that they've messed up on. And it just shows that um, they're not perfect either. Like we're all sinners. We're all struggling. We're all going to make mistakes. And that helps kind of kill some of that hypocritical feel that you can get at church is when the people in leadership positions are leading out from their vulnerability of how they're not perfect, how they're sinners too. Yeah. 
That's good. Okay, so I want, I'd love to hear both of you speak into this just real quick, and we'll we'll begin to wrap up. But if if the church is being all the church that God called it to be, what what would be the like? What are the benefits? Like, what are the amazing things? Not only we, I think that our Bible would tell us to go there, but what are the benefits of being under uh, leadership and being a part of a church? You spoke to them a little bit, David, but I would love for people just to know that not only the protection, but the meeting together, and just what comes from being a part of a church. I think it gives you a place to a healthy church is going to want a healthy church that's led by healthy elders. And there's not, that's not all churches everywhere, but there are a good amount of them who are seeking to do the right thing. So I want to, I want to acknowledge that some people may live in the boonies of Ontario, Canada, and there's, there's only one church there and it's quasi healthy and, and they get to do what you did, which is go in and be the health that they want to see in the church. But, um, I, I would say that the benefits that come is there's several. One, um, you get to, at a healthy church, have your gifts that God has given, spiritual gifts that he's given you according to 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 14, Romans 14, I'm sorry, Romans 12, is to discover, develop, and deploy the gifts and wiring that God has given you for eternal purposes. Everything else, there's so many things that you do throughout your day are fleeting. It's not that you're, like, that you're gonna remember them in you know a million years. You won't remember them next week. And you're devoted to, and you're given so much of your time, and so am I, to just things that are just going to reoccur. Um, they are mowing the lawn, if you will, of life. And they're just, you're not reaping into things that are eternal. So in the church, you're given a context and a place and a purpose to really deploy kind of, this is how God's made me. And I want to give it for making him famous, not for just kept keeping up with the Joneses. So that would be one thing, a, a place to experience your purpose, um, a, a protection. So purpose. I would say protection. I'm just running here, just thinking out loud. We're going peas. Yeah, I like protection it. Protection from the elders, that the elders stand before God and they say, we're going to give account. I mean, that's Hebrews 13, which is a comforting thing that, hey, at the end of the day, they're promising that if I submit myself to them, they're going to give an account for my life. So I'm going to, I'm going to stand before God and he's going to go, are, are you giving an account, David? Like if I don't have any church, if I'm not under elders, if I don't have any leadership, then he's like, you give an account. You stand before me and tell me why you didn't submit to a church. You stand before me and tell me how you didn't plug in. They're going to give an account. They're watching over your souls. And um, and so there's almost a freedom that comes. I don't know if there's an analogy that helps explain that, but something that's like, hey, at the end of the day, are you telling me that if I do all, if I do this right here, you're going to cover everything else? Like, like, um, like on a basketball team, the coach, you're responsible. All I have to do is if I show up for practice every single day, you're telling me that you guarantee the championship, you're next on the line. That's what elders do. They're a source of protection and provision for you. And then I think uh, along the lines of provision, at least here in healthy churches, um, it is the body of Christ that tangibly meets the needs of people. That like when I, there, there's a promise that we make to our members here, you will never go hungry unless all of us are going hungry. Mm-hmm. That we will say, hey, we're gonna come together and you're never gonna starve. If you have a child that, that is an unwanted pregnancy, bring it here. We will find a, a home for that child. This is a family and we are, gonna, we are committed to protecting you. If you are a member here, if you um, randomly show up or you're just regularly attending and you've never plugged your life in and you've never actually said like, I wanna be under the elders, that provision is going to look different. We're not going to, we're going to care for people like God tells us to, but there's a commitment to the household and the family of God that we have to one another. So I would say purpose, protection, and provision would be three that I think of. 
That's good. Okay, I think I've got just a Hey, few. guys, that was gold. That, that was, was yeah, awesome. Way to go. I'm, I'm going to write a sermon. Yeah. I need to write these down. Perfect. <laughs> he did not plan that. That was on the spot. Protection, yeah. provision, and what was the other one? Purpose? Purpose. Protection. Yes, yeah. way to go. Gosh, I, I think I there's pr- probably three things as to why also that it's uh, great for you. And it's Wes, when you, when you gather together, we have to remind each other about whose we are, who we are and whose we are, and just and uh, the joy that's found in that. And then we get to also encourage each other to c- grow and not be s- stagnant, you know, don't stay where you are and then really more than anything when you come together to church we get to remind each other of the living hope that we have in jesus so it's a time to come together and be reminded of the hope we have in jesus anything you'd add elena no that's great that's it that's all we got we will see you next time on views from the porch We want to thank you for listening to Views from the Porch. For more information about The Porch Ministry, visit us at theporch.live or follow us on social media at The Porch.